uh, entire week has been an excellent week. Um, there is so much we could spend talking about. Uh, the things that uh, we witnessed, the things that uh, the Lord has done. Um, the back of your bulletin gives you a taste of that. Uh, Forty children re- responded to the gospel message this week. Forty children. That's a lot of people. And a lot of lives changed. And when you come to know Christ as Savior, you're changed forever. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. We're thankful for that. Um, if there was a way to do this, I don't know how exactly we could, but I would highly recommend that all of the adults go through VBS, too. <laughs> we can learn the songs and the motions and all the rest, but what a powerful message this VBS had this year. A very powerful and such a timely message this VBS had this year. I was looking at all these uh, beautiful faces singing this morning and thinking about the world that they live in and what is their future in a world like ours. Uh, So I have a message for you this morning. I call it a VBS sermon. All right, It's in response to the things that were witnessed and yet I'm speaking on several levels here. Number one, in a response to what we saw with the kids, but also for you as adults. What are we doing today for our children for their future? And I want to talk to you on that level today especially, because this past week we witnessed in this church building a struggle between two significant forces. You would not have known it if you had sat in these pews and you saw all the decorations that were around this room. It looked like a castle. If you heard the energetic songs about the truths of God's Word, if you watched the skit as it developed over the course of the week as they played games, as they did crafts and ate snacks and heard Bible lessons from the celebrities, the struggle was as real as the sun or the moon. The VBS that we talked about this week, the theme was two kingdoms. The kingdoms of darkness and the kingdom of God's light. The battleground is in the souls of children. And I don't have to tell you that that is true in so many parts of our society today. From the entertainment world to the educational world, to the graphic display of deviant sexual manipulation in the destruction of our family. Childhood in America is under attack. There's no way to deny that. And the consequences are eternal in nature. We finished our VBS on Friday, but the warfare continues. We did not banish Satan from society, though I wish we could have. We did not thwart all the schemes of the wicked one. We did not change any laws. We did not protest any movements. What we did is something alone we can do. We presented the truth. And we prayed. The victory, as they just sang, belongs to the Lord. 
The passage that they spent time in, and we're going to as well this morning, is Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. I'm going to read this passage to you. We'll have a word of prayer. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the might of His strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the wicked, or the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, In addition to all, having taken up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Also, receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times with all prayer and petition in the Spirit and to this end, being on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Heavenly Father, the passage before us is a call for us to respond, for us to do something. And I pray that our hearts are open and receptive today as we go through this passage. Lord, show us Yourself in all these things that we may remember. Our world may be dark and grim in so many places, but we have the joy of Jesus Christ within us. We have hope. We have a future. And may may we not forget that the victory does belong to the Lord. And it will be that way. Thank you, Lord. Help us as we study and spend time in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse number 11 and 12 of that passage I just read to you. We could easily recognize the enemy. As to these words, you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's hard enough to fight an enemy that's visible. I'm sure that Goliath was quite an opposing figure, and the fact that he on the battlefield was enough to scare an entire army, and all he did was threaten them. If you watch the news, and a lot of us do, you read it online reports, perhaps, or you see what's happening in our country. It's attack on our children. It's easy to mark the enemy. However, the Lord is quick to tell us that our struggle is against an unseen enemy. The devil is full of schemes, it says. Strategies and schematics he follows of evil so woven into the fabric of this world system. To try to unravel them would be like trying to take the tares out of the wheat. Folks, until the Lord banishes Satan into the lake of fire forever, the strategies and the schemes will continue. 
You may think that that 1,000 years of reprieve when Satan is imprisoned during the millennium period will be sufficient for all these things. But that only regards Satan. It doesn't say all the demons will be locked up as well. Nevertheless, our hope is not solely on him being binded up for a thousand years, but it rests completely on the reliance of the strength of our Lord. In the end, Satan will be banished forever to the lake of fire. We are told that our struggle is against rulers, against authorities, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. These are the powers that exist in our world today, transforming our society and our culture into bondage to sin, making people more than just prisoners of darkness. I would even go to say they're participants as well in this evil activities. We spent a little time in our study of Ephesians 1 going to Ephesians 2. And the first couple of verses we find in Ephesians chapter 2, just a few pages back, is our condition before we knew Christ as our Savior. It says in Ephesians 2, 1, And you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too also formerly conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's not a pretty picture, is it? To say that's what we were. I'm glad to use the word were in that passage. But for all of those who are not saved, that's still their description. That's still who they are. Dead in sins. Active in his practices. That's a terrible combination. But that's exactly how the the system works. Dead in sin and active in his practices. Romans chapter 1 goes even further. To state that not only do they practice these things, but they give hearty approval to those who do it as well. The passage in Romans chapter 1. Boy, every time I read it, I say, this is in our newspaper every morning. This is what it looks like. It starts in verse 28. I'm going to read this to you. And you, you think this through and see if it's not true. Romans 1.28 I'll give you a second. I hear people turning. That's good. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to an unfit mind to do those things which are not proper, having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, Malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, 
unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the righteous requirements of God and those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Is that not our world? How much does it take to convince us that we are in a war worse than any war this earth has ever seen in any physical way? And that's saying a lot. I think it's very appropriate to make it known. There is such a battle between dark and light. There is such a battle between death and life. And recognizing such is not meant to paralyze us. As terrifying as all these things are. It's not to make us cower, find a cave and run and hide, or climb up on a telephone pole. We don't have enough telephone poles in Hillsdale to satisfy all of you. But we've been given the tools needed. This passage in Ephesians 6. We've been given what is mentioned as the armor of God. Girded your loins with the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Taking up the shield of faith. Wearing the helmet of salvation. Carrying the sword of the spirit. I I won't take the time this morning to explain all of these pieces today. I will reference just a couple of them. But we all recognize the importance of truth, do we not? That is essential in our day and age. Has been all along anyway. But this comes to the forefront. What is the value of righteousness in a world like ours? Does this world need the gospel? Mm-hmm. Do we need to walk by faith? Yes. Is salvation important? Oh, yes it is. What about the value of the Word of God? What about it? We would call all of those essentials to the Christian life, wouldn't we? Not just something we put on for a day or two and say, well, I'm going to give this a try and see what it's like. But these are the things that God has given to us And all the while, the enemy continues to sow falsehoods and unrighteousness and bad news and unfaithfulness and death. Let let me point out for a minute the value of, let's say, the shield of faith. The shield of faith. The evil one, according to this text, is firing flaming missiles at the child of God. Flaming missiles. Does that alarm you? Just yesterday I was over at Megan's place and she came out the door and and she says, look, a snake. It's slithered out under the car and she wanted to look under the car and get, hey, look, uh uh-uh. She says, I know what I'll do. I'll back up so you can see the snake. And so she backed up. And sure enough, there was this brown snake all curled up with its head like this. And um, I was about five or six feet away from it. And it went toward me. You know what? It was one puny snake. It didn't go very far. 
It just went, bloop, and down it went. And it thought, I'd better run and hide. Well, that was okay. But I don't like things jumping at me like that. Do you? It doesn't matter how big that thing is. It's like, no, you don't do that. Your enemy is firing flaming missiles at you, Scripture says. Do you know what that is? That is not an intent to give you a bad day. That's an intent to kill you. That's what he's trying to do. The words in the Greek is to run you through with a flaming arrow. That sounds terrible. He's the same individual that's called a roaring lion, remember? And what does he desire to do? Devour you. Faith is not a game we play. Faith is that shield that holds us firm when we're under attack. Truth is not just a decoration for the outfit. It's an essential part of what we need every single day. Because the enemy doesn't take Saturdays off. Or Sunday either. The other day I was reading in the Gospel of John... I don't know, maybe I've read it 10 or 11 times already this year. It's my new approach this year to my devotional time, because after reading through the Bible in one year, I said, well, how am I going to do this this year? So I just decided I'm going to read through the Gospel of John in every single Bible translation I could get. And it's been rather interesting. So I've been going along and along and along reading the Gospel of John over and over. And I was in John 3 the other day. Very familiar verse, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We know that passage well. We learn it in Sunday school. We see it on posters in basketball games. (laughs) You know, people pop that up from time to time. Have you ever seen the rest of that passage and thought about it? If you take a minute just to turn there, I'll read it to you. But John 3, 17, 18, and 19, and going on in that passage, powerful things are being said there that we need to be mindful of. John three seventeen. It says right there in verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world. (laughs) This world does deserve judgment. Thomas Jefferson said, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that His justice cannot sleep forever. It's like, ooh. The fact is, this world is already condemned. Jesus didn't have to condemn it. This world is in need of salvation, and that's why Jesus came. That the world might be saved through him. Look at the difference he makes. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged. Isn't that beautiful? You, believer in Christ, you're not judged. But he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So what's going on in our present world? Let's look at verse 19. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and man loved 
Look at that word. Loved. That is our favorite word, agape. The verb form, agapao. Men love. We like that word. It's an earnest love. It's a devoted love. It's a sacrificial love. We love that word agape. Look at where they're using it. Men loved the darkness. That means they're devoted to it. They will sacrifice for it. (laughs) Don't underestimate man's love for sin. They love the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds might be manifested as having been done by God. I know we bemoan the lack of truth being evident in our society today. But we have to realize two things. Our world does not want truth. Our world does not want truth. Nevertheless, we are called as believers to practice it, aren't we? We're called to practice it. And we will not get the world's applause. (laughs) By exposing darkness, by shining the light, we may see some saved. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 9.20. To the Jew I became a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law, as under the law, though I myself not being under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. You may say, what, what, are, what are you doing here, Paul? Are you compromising? No. He's not compromising the Christian principles here. He did not relax a holy life or alter the claims of truth. But he went to where people were. The Jew cannot save himself by being a Jew. Those who follow the law cannot save themselves by adherence to rules and regulations. Those who are lawless will not be redeemed by their extremes in human freedom. The weak do not win a consolation prize for the pity of God. Salvation is in Christ alone. We believe that. It's the truth of the gospel. The Jew and the non-Jew needs it. The strict and the rebellious need that. We are given the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It might be removed from our courtrooms. It might be taken from our classrooms. It might even be taken from our libraries and our hotels. But it cannot be taken from our hands, and it certainly can't be taken from our hearts. Let me ask you a question. If the Bible was banned and the penalty for owning one was death, would you risk it? 
would you risk it? That was the case in the 1500s in England. Those who were caught with Bibles received capital punishment for it. That was the penalty. If you did not have a physical copy of God's Word in your hand, do you have enough of it planted in your heart, in your memory, that you can use it to share the gospel with another person? Do you know enough of it that you could do that? I've heard of people being put up in prisons for long length of times. Missionaries arrested in foreign countries and put in there without any scripture in their hands, but because they had memorized large portions of it. And even memorized songs that they had sung as hymns. They were able to rehearse that over and over and over and over again in their minds and to meditate upon that. And the Lord refreshed their souls in a very gloomy and hopeless place. Do you have any of that in here or in here? Should the Bible be taken from you? You may say, well, we don't live in a world quite like that, do we? Do you know how close we are? I don't hesitate to mark the conditions of our world to state that this culture opposes the truth. That's no surprise. That's no surprise. You know that as well as I know that. What concerns me is the fact that we have been given the Word of God and we either don't know how to use it or we neglect to spend time in it. I hope that's not an accurate depiction of who we are. But the Bible is our middle name. Hillsdale Bible Church. D.L. Moody once remarked that seven days without the Bible makes one week. W-E-A-K. I want to appeal to you, if I haven't sounded strong yet, I want to appeal to you. If you're not in the Word, if you're not immersed in the Word, you are vulnerable to the schemes of the evil one. You are vulnerable to it. Not only does that hurt you, but that hurts our children. That hurts our grandchildren. Because what we wanted from them was to stand up for truth in an evil generation. Does it stop just with them? Or does that reflect upon you and me too? That's why I think we need to go through BBS for a week. We need to learn the important principles of truth in a world like ours. To live in the truth is not something for a little kid only. It's for their parents and their grandparents too. Who's going to set the example for them to follow? Who's going to do it that they may say, Oh, I've seen that before. I know how to. Because mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or aunt or uncle or somebody in my life has made that kind of difference. They love God's word and they lived it. Can we be that? Can we be those that they need to see? 
You know what? That's going to take more than one week of your life. That's going to take every day of the year. We're called to that. We're called to that. Every time you see in the Old Testament failure on behalf of the generation of Israel, failure with not following God's Word, failure with being ignorant of God's Word, Deuteronomy 6 points to the parent every single time. It says the father was to pass it on to his son. They were to sit together. They were to walk together. They were to talk together. And no matter what, it was to talk about the law. Talk about the law. Talk about the law. And when that father failed, the child fell. It was recorded all the way through the Old Testament that way. I'm not setting aside the fact that some were just plain rebellious. (laughs) But there was a responsibility. A responsibility. We need to know God's Word, but we need to do more than just know it. We need to live it, and we need to share it. Our culture calls for that. Because that's the enemy, and it's out there trying to take the minds and the hearts of our children. Are we going to let them? If there's something you can do about this, and there is, first of all, know God's Word. Second thing is, learn to pray. Oh, I know our church is a great praying church. We've, we've seen that so many times here. But folks, in our day and age, we need to ramp it up. We really need to ramp it up. This world is not going to slow down so that we can catch up to it. It will not. We need to learn to pray. As Paul said at the end of that passage in Ephesians, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Go through that sometimes and try to figure out what, what minute of a day do you have left after he takes all that. Praying all the time with all prayer and all petition. Setting a focus on it. it we can't afford to let our guard down. We just can't. What should our prayers be about? We'll just take this passage in Ephesians. Endurance. We need endurance in our day. Trust in the Lord. Not only do we need examples of that, but we ought to be praying about that. We need to be praying for these children. We need to be praying for the kids on the back of that bulletin. Trust in the Lord. Alertness. Alertness. Be aware of what's around you. Anymore, they tell us that in dangerous situations, how people attack when you're not being aware. You're not aware of your environment. You're not paying attention. You, you go to the ATM and you're walking around with that $1,000 in your hand, counting it as you're going to the car. Be aware of your environment. The, the enemy's right there. Learn to pray for one another. Not just about broken bones and all that. I know that's important. I'm not saying that's not. But when's the last time you prayed about somebody's spiritual strength? Or spiritual health? We need to be praying for one another. God lets us see this conflict in so many different ways. But I would wish that we would want more to see our Savior. More time spent with our Commander-in-Chief. The one who has brought us the victory over this sin and over this death. 
I had recently run a, read a biography about one of the Navajo cold, cold, code talkers <laughs> during World War II. They employed them to transmit <coughs> messages during the midst of warfare. Amazing story. The men of these uniforms stormed the shores of the Pacific Islands, understanding as they jumped out of those ships and those transports that within moments their life might be over. They were not guaranteed that they were going to make it to the shore anymore that they would make it through the rest of that day. But they went on and they ran forward and they carried out their job and they did what they were called to do. They followed the commands of their leaders and eventually won the day. Here is our reality. This world is not going to make life easier for the believer. I'm sorry if you were hoping for something different. But it's not. We are not at rest until we go home and be with our Lord. Today the conflict rages and we're called to obey our Master and Lord and take up the Word of God and pray at all times. If you want the whole list simple, there it is. We've been not given the spirit of fear, have we? Let us recall how Timothy was admonished by Paul and take this personally as we listen. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gifts of God which is in you through the laying on of my hand. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or for me his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he granted us in Christ Jesus for all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. If he was writing to you today, he'd write the same words. So I appeal to you. If this is where we start to say, let's make a commitment. Let's do it. A commitment to his word. And a commitment to prayer. That believer is for you and for me. That's what we're called to. And if today you're here this morning and Jesus is not your Savior, please hear again what we declare to you. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you don't have Him as your Savior, do you want life? Do you want forgiveness? You could believe on Him and be changed today forever. Forever. If you want to talk to me about that, I'd love to talk to you. After the service, I'd talk to any, Or grab somebody else in this room and say, I want to know more about Jesus. Don't hesitate to do that. If you want to know the truth, Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And He is the life. That won't change and our culture will never change it. That's the truth of God's Word. We can go forward from here, can't we? We can go forward from here. Just like the kids have been encouraged all week long. Walk in the truth. Pray. Wear that armor. 
There is a battle going on. But we know the Lord. We have the victory. Praise the Lord for that. I want to just leave that encouragement in your heart this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It brings us clarity in a world that's so confusing. It gives us direction in a world that doesn't know top from bottom, right from left. It gives to us a conviction because our world has caved to sin. It is following after it. It's callous. And it's also quite committed to the evil ways. We live in this world, Lord, and you know it. And you didn't take us out of it. But you've given to us everything we need for life and godliness. May we learn to trust you more. To learn more to read of your word. To live your word. And to pray. Work in our hearts today, Lord. And give us this ambition Not just for who we are or our relationship with you or how we can cope in this world, but may we do it for our children and for our grandchildren that they can see believers who are actually doing what we're telling them they need to do. Let us be the examples, Lord, we pray. Challenge us thoroughly with this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.